My job is to help people really get that adoption up to the point where they start to understand, oh yes, this is making my life significantly better. This is making me a better seller. This is making me more money. This is a way that I can do better at my job. And one way that I think operations teams can really embrace this is that you have to make sure that the tools you're adopting, they do become in part sort of the destination for where people do that work or see that data. This is Reveal, the revenue intelligent podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Ladies and gents of Reveal, wow, we are coming to you this week with a pretty hot take on whether your solution is a vitamin or if it's a painkiller, ideally, it's even more. It's life support. Today in the Reveal Studios, yes, Danny Wasserman here, your host of Reveal, coming to you with Mallory Lee, the Vice President of Operations over at Nihilus. And she's hitting you guys between the eyes as an increasingly critical buyer is that VP of Ops, right? We've all heard the phrase, the rise of RevOps. Well, Mallory is telling us if you're attempting to come to her with anything less than a painkiller, oh boy, respectfully take a hike. As someone who is integral as part of the buying committee, Mallory is not just going to talk about how you become a painkiller, best life support. Also, what you need to do to personalize your outreach to captivate and win her attention. It's a great episode. Certainly someone with 15 years of RevOps experience has the authority to deliver some unforgettable insights. So with that said, enough from me. DJ, spin that. Mallory Lee, welcome to Reveal. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, Mallory, again, we are all clawing at your door trying to figure out when you have the ear of a CRO or you have the ear of a CMO or even the CFO, 15 years in operations, everything from marketing operations to sales operations, and now all of revenue operations. We all, at this point, as a sales organization, we all are in a place where it's unavoidable that we're going to try and sell something and escape your clutches, Mallory. I'm telling you, can you tell our listeners what cuts the mustard, what works for you, what tugs at heartstrings versus what are desperate, just absolutely doomed attempts that are going to see, I don't know, your Sayonara, I'm not taking this call. Tell us a little bit about what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, great question. So I think that my top priorities are always around, are you making us more efficient? Are you making the seller's lives better? The marketer's lives better? Are you solving a pain that we have? And Hmm. are you vital? The next thing is all about integration for me. I think that that is so much more important than people tend to give it credit for. And unfortunately, oftentimes with newer technology, that is the last thing to come along is to really start to get your platform integrated to the other sources of truth and the other ways that people are optimizing their funnel. But those are kind of the two dicks ones for me. Are you killing pain? And are you integrated with the rest of the stuff? Let's talk about this idea of killing pain because, whoa, that is a charged notion. But if that's what actually captivates you, Tell us a little bit more about what it means to kill pain. Yeah, so I think I heard this several years ago, first from David Cummings, and he said that some products are vitamins and some products are painkillers. 
And I've just always thought about that because when times get tough, the first thing to go is the vitamin. And so it's incumbent on us as you know software providers to really help people understand where you kill the pain and how you do it and why you're not just a vitamin for an organization. What that means to me is that you've got an, a critical place in the daily operations of the business or a critical place in the way that we go sell. Selling and, and marketing and all of the different methodologies that people adopt over time to really try to innovate. A lot of that innovation can be a test or a vitamin that's equally dropped. When someone's never met you before, but they think that they can help kill your pain, prospecting into you as an invaluable decision maker can be really hard because you don't want to come off too heavy handed as a bully, as a fear monger. Mm. But if you mm. dance around the pain too much, then you get relegated to this idea of just being a superfluous vitamin. What has worked for you when folks are trying to prospect into if it's a directly applicable to op solution, great, or even if you get tagged in because the CRO or the CFO says, hey, Mal, like you and your team go check this out. I want to understand how do we best throttle the tension and the pain killing that's going to be enough to satisfy you, not too much where you're like, that guy's a jerk and not enough. We're like, no, 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 this isn't necessary. It's the Goldilocks of pain, I guess, is what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's a good question. So I think that the pain is different at every level of the organization. Okay. So the first thing that you really have to do is customize that pain to the person that you're talking to. If you are prospecting in at multiple levels, which I think everyone should be, you've got to, you know, kind of target that message at the person's role or their day job. So if I'm trying to communicate to someone that I'm going to save them time, that is a great message for an individual contributor, someone who is very often stuck in the weeds doing something tedious that your problem can solve. By the time you make it to me or my partners on our exec team, we care a lot more about how things work together and the holistic business. How are the insights gathered? Are you helping us kind of gel the business together across the go-to-market strategy? So that ends up being so much more vital than what people give it credit for. And if I can tell that my team is spending tons of time just trying to get your tool to integrate with the rest of everything we do, might not be saving time. So, you know, the integration goes hand in hand, but you've got to find that place for that persona that they are experiencing the pain. It could be that they're having a hard time getting their, you know, their ideas adopted. It could be that they're having a hard time reaching their target market. It could be that they don't understand their forecast. Like there are so many things that people are challenged by each and every day. And if you come up too strong and say, I suspect that you're having terrible problems doing X, Y, and Z, you know, you could put people off. The emails that I take notice of probably the most are the ones that say, Hey, now I noticed that you guys started a PLG motion. I suspect that you might be struggling to understand how to get the contracts to, you know, become valid with a click through online. Is that something you're worried about? Leave it at that. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, either yes, I'm already worried about that or no, but now I, I realize that I should be. And so I'm going to go investigate that in the organization 
by the way, I'm not going to respond. I'm just going to go talk to my CFO about, do we have this valid through path? And, you know, depending on what I find out, if I, if I see that it's a need, I might reply to that email. If I find out that we're not worried about it, then I won't. But most of the emails that I actually pay attention to are either super highly customized or they do that, that good job of being right in the middle of like hinting at what the pain is without being overbearing, like you're saying. So much of what I'm excited about in this episode is demystifying what goes on in your brain. Because as you said, you receive an email and for the sender, it's out in the ether. No idea, did it land, did it not? Trying to understand when that email actually is potent enough and threads and throttles the tension to the point that you want it to be, you know, okay, illuminating, but not overbearing was the word you used. I think what we'd love for, you know, sellers and SDRs and BDRs or even sales leaders who are listening right now to understand, was there an example where you're like, God, like that just made you repel because all the pain was there, the tension was there, but it just came off nasty. Like, I don't want to do business with jerks. And then another time, I mean, you alluded to it, but another maybe more memorable story where like that was perfect and this was cold outreach and usually either maybe you take calls from people you know or references. But in this case, wow, like bravo to the salesman or woman who went the extra mile to personalize things because you also alluded to the fact that personalization, that the juice is worth the squeeze. So let's maybe talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. I do have a very specific example as you could kind of see there. So there was a gal who reached out to me. Her email was so incredibly personalized. It was about the fact that I was a mom and that I was in leadership and that, you know, she was trying to plan out her strategy for how she wanted that to look for her own life. And she really kind of got to know a little bit about me to the extent where she stood out. The message was unlike any other message that I normally get. So that right there is probably one of the best ways to guarantee that someone's going to read it. Mm -hmm. It's just to be so different that you're almost confusing the person. Like, am I getting an email in my work inbox about being a mom and a wife and like balancing everything together. You don't see that every day. So I think the element of surprise is there. Also, I felt she was genuine. Like maybe she was, maybe she wasn't, but the email got a reply because it seemed so genuine and I wanted to be her friend. My theories around this area have not changed since, I don't know, 15 years ago, like you said. I think people buy from people that they like. And I think people do not respond to prospecting emails unless they know you're not going to give up. And this is something that I talk to my own team about because it's so often that I get the inevitable breakup email. And I think breakup emails are shit. I think all it does is it shows that you gave up. And every time I get a breakup email, I'm like, yeah, I knew it. I knew you'd give up. And I'm so glad that I didn't reply. And that might be considered, I don't know, mean. I'm not sure. But I only respond to people who I'm like, okay, you're never going to leave me alone. So I better at least listen to what you have to say at least for like five minutes and give you a shot because I really don't think this person is going away. For listeners out there, the breakup email. Ooh, a fatal blow. Well, now I want to now think about, you talked about vitamins versus painkillers and we need to find the goldilocks of pain to insinuate hey this is a real painkiller that's going to move the needle and this isn't just superfluous let's also talk about going one step further which is examining those products that actually pertain to life support 
And I can think back in my own career, contrasting when I was a sailor, uh, salesperson, I sold Tableau, a really advanced, highly valued piece of technology. But when compared with something like a utility, your infrastructure as a service with AWS or your data warehouse through Snowflake or DataBridge, once those are institutionalized, it's nearly impossible to rip them out. Like the idea that you could continue operating without those is just implausible. It's not feasible. And for you, when you're examining making a purchase, I think that everyone would hope that they're a life support solution like the ones I just mentioned, but more realistically, they're a painkiller. How do you as a buyer make that determination? So one reason that I was very attracted to Nihilus for my next role was because I did see those elements of life support in our product. So we offer an API platform that people can use to connect their product and build features for email and calendar and contacts. Our retention is kind of what drew me in at first because I had always been working in marketing technology where the retention is a bit of a struggle. I think that, you know, those buyers, they don't feel a lot of pain to switch. They can take their CSV file and be on a new vendor in about 25 minutes. That's kind of what I grew up in. And so when I first got familiar with Nihilus and the fact that we were part of someone's infrastructure, I was like, wow, that is a very cool place to be. You know, the element that stands out to me is that you often find usage-based pricing model with infrastructure. And the thing I love about that is that if we are doing our job correctly, no one should ever feel any kind of sadness or pain or worry about paying Nihilus more money. And it's because we only grow when the customer grows. And there's a direct correlation to the way that we are helping them grow their business. And that's very similar to like an Amazon. So if you need more space, it's because you're growing. You're never going to question that. You're Mm -hmm. always going to try to get the best rate that you can. Of course, don't get me wrong. Still need to be cost conscious. And especially if you're on somebody's like cost of goods sold, you need to be very careful about the part you play there. But I think the life support products are the ones that you're kind of saying, if, if you took it away, the business would stop working. And it's very hard to reach that territory. Even, you know, even with some infrastructure products, you could try to build that infrastructure yourself. It would just be insanely expensive and insanely time consuming. Friends, no doubt that sales is evolving. The critical part to that evolution is the technology that supports it. Mallory emphasizes this herself and it aligns with what we heard from HubSpot. A study from HubSpot states that 91% of sellers at large companies are using sales tech at least once a week. Moreover, 80% of sellers who reached over, you ready for this? 150% of their quota use sales tech at least once a week. Crazy, right? Well, maybe not. So in service of appreciating the Terminator and the rise of the machines, again, there's a space for tech to exist alongside human effort, but it's important for companies and sellers alike to pick the right tech that boosts that productivity and unlocks all that synergy. Back to Mallory here a little bit more about how you find that pain-killing technology. Everyone is trying to achieve that nirvana state of we are part of the life support tier, that it is not even conceivable that we get ripped out once we're plugged in. How do you then, as a buyer, looking to make those purchases at minimum, painkillers at best, life support, because it's justifiable for all the reasons we just described. How do you then 
parlay that perspective into the training of your sales team, the operations of your sales team, because obviously that's what we're all trying to unlock and achieve. Yeah, and it's hard. To be very honest, if I find something that I believe is a painkiller, I still have to do the work to get the adoption across the organization. I'm going to perceive it as a painkiller before other people do, because they might have an extra step in their process. They might have an extra 10 minutes in their day that they didn't used to have to spend updating their forecast. You know, for us, I think forecasting is a great example. It wasn't something that was a big part of the go-to-market process at Nihilus before I joined and the CRO and myself, we joined on the same day. And both of us were like, okay, forecasts, let's figure out what's going on here. So first I have to decide that I think it's painkiller. I have to decide that I think it fits into the stack in a way that is going to help us to the extent where it's solving a big enough problem that it becomes integral to our operations. So forecasting is very much painkiller in my book. It's something that is so important for accuracy, the way we communicate with our board, the way we understand our future cash flow. You just can't get by without a tight forecast. So then my job is to go help people understand why I've chosen the thing I've chosen, how it needs to fit into their life and why it's worth it for them. And so even as painkillers start to be adopted across the organization, they might feel like extra work at first. And my job is to help people, you know, really get that adoption up to the point where they start to understand, oh, yes, this is making my life significantly better. This is making me a better seller. This is making me more money. This is a way that I can do better at my job. And one way that I think operations teams can really embrace this is that you have to make sure that the tools you're adopting, they do become in part sort of the destination for where people do that work or see that data. And if it's vital enough that they they must visit the page to type in the forecast, then they will start to see, this is the only place that can do this. This is where it's done. This is just part of my life now. Amazing. Let's go one step further. So obviously taking something that you implement, contextualizing it in a way, as you said, hey, like this may feel like a checkpoint or a source of friction. This is causing me to chafe because I'm not used to it, but hey, this is in my interest. I love that idea of contextualizing it into a what I refer to as whiff them, what's in it for me. Now yeah. let's talk about, cool, how do you think about then training and indoctrinating your sellers into positioning Nihilus as that painkiller as that even life support solution to your customers? Is that part of your wheelhouse or do you just say, hey, that's product marketing or hey, that's sales or do you have a seat at that table when you're deciding how do we illuminate for our own customers, we aren't just a vitamin? Yeah, so this is the first time that I am not the ICP for the product that my company sells. And it's very different, um, but it's refreshing. Like I've learned so much about the developer community and how they think and how they like to buy things. And product-led growth has become just a big fascination for me at this point. And, um, but, you know, in the past, I was always the buyer. So teams would be coming to me and they would be asking, okay, Mallory, you're the buyer. Tell us what you need. Tell us how you think. How do we do this? A little bit different at Nihilus. So to your point, it's not my full-on expertise. But what I've seen us do that I think is very important is... We have always been very upfront with people 
around, okay, your alternative here is to build this infrastructure yourself. You can do the job of building your integration into Gmail and IMAP, and they're all different. They all use different, you know, fields and, and syntaxes and all the things that developers understand that I don't understand. Yeah. It's just hard to do. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of money. So often for Nihilus, our biggest competitor is people try and build it on their own. And so the pain that we kill very specifically is saving your team's time and expertise to be working on your own product, mm. which is what you really want them spending time on. You don't want your engineers spending all this time trying to understand Google when that means they're not building out your own product. So we have really taken that approach of killing the pain of just how long it takes and how difficult it is and how much maintenance it requires. Because anytime the vendor changes their system, you've got to go reflect that. Nihilus does all of that for people. So anyway, I would say that for us, we first have to focus on killing the pain. And then after that, we do become part of the infrastructure. And then it's incumbent on us to continue to innovate to help people improve their businesses, to come out with new features and new ways of doing things, to continue to make that infrastructure something that they're really excited about and that they rely on. Really great. Want to ask two more questions. The first one, ROI. I've heard conflicting opinions about ROI. And let's talk about how you perceive ROI when you're being pitched, but then also how you think about positioning Nihilus's ROI externally to your customers. Some folks who we've interviewed have said, I don't buy anything that's being slung by a seller because I haven't vetted it and this is just gobbledygook, it's smoke and mirrors. Other people say, if you don't have numbers and all you're slinging is subjective opinions, there's no way in hell I'm gonna take your call because I need to be able to defend and justify this expense. So if you've started at least the legwork, I'll at least take a nibble. Where do you stand being pitched and then by extension, how do you then think about training your sellers who also have to sell probably into your peers within operations? I'm happy for people to tell me, here's how our customers think about the ROI of our product. This is how they measure it. This is how they think about it. That is kind of one point of data in a sea of points of data. But personally, I hate all of the ROI calculators that people bring to you and say, hey, show this to your boss. And it inevitably will be a slide that says, we're going to have 3,000% ROI. How could we not do this, right? But if someone brings that slide to me, I just immediately dismiss it. Like the numbers are silly. They're always silly, by the way. You never get to something like, oh, 2X ROI, you know, you get to like a million percent on all of these different little calculators. So I don't think that they're really like the best use of time. I think that for people who are doing the selling, it's much more beneficial for them to help the buyer learn how to think about what the ROI is and give them advice on, you know, what they've seen work well for other people in the past. If you've got a champion that doesn't really know how to buy things at their company, you might need to do more of this coaching. Mm -hmm. So... There could be some elements where it is appropriate to use it, but I think it has to be as realistic as possible. And the person making the decision, if they are, you know, kind of deserving of being in this decision maker role, they have their own perspective on ROI. 
And the chances that it matches, you know, the vendors are very, very slim. So I personally am turned off by, you know, the override calculators. I also think if you've got multiple vitamins going on, some examples here, not to get all naming names, but I'm just going to go ahead and name them. Um, at, at Nihilus, we use LinkedIn Sales Navigator and we use Zeminfo. And in EMEA, we use Cognizum. So we've stacked up three different vendors that have significant overlap in what they offer us. If all three of them bring us the same ROI calculator and say, hey, this is what we can do for you. As a buyer, I understand how much overlap there is in that, in that calculation. And if you're getting a, you know, 400% ROI on all of these, it's duplicated. It's not real. It's just like a silly made up number. And so I would much rather prefer to do the exercise on my own and say, all right, Cognizant is for EMEA. Here's how I think about the return we get for them. Put it up in my own head and then really try to do the math on my own to make it make sense. There does have to be ROI there. I just don't think that people want to be told what that ROI is. And they're not going to take your word for it. Really good to know that we need a starting point, but anything that reeks of audacity or that is so unrealistic will immediately turn you off. So thanks for that. Well, our last question, and Mallory, if you're a listener of Reveal, you know what's coming, but if this is going to be a surprise to you, our listeners are absolutely frothing at the mouth to know. Well, we ask every guest who comes onto the episode, Mallory, if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? Cool. It's a surprise. If I could describe sales in one word, Oh man, this is hard. It's Julian, funny because we, we 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 give you zingers throughout the entire episode and we get to this and this is the one that stumps everybody. <laughs> so I'm a big believer in the whole left brain, right brain sort of mentality. When I think about sales, I think about emotion. I don't mean that in a negative way, but I think that emotion is vital to the role. They have to have the right level of emotion to, you know, convey to a buyer that they're passionate and they can help them and get them excited. And emotion is very important. I also believe that that emotion plays a part internally. And, you know, often with RevOps and, and any kind of like operational role, the emotion is much less present. It's not the emphasis of the decision-making or the conversation. So I think if I were selling into operations, which we have been talking about, you need to keep that in mind. Like you want to have the vibe of, I'm passionate about this. I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice gal. You can like me. You can trust me. You can buy from me. That level of emotion is, that level of emotion is appropriate. But operations teams don't buy on emotion. And so that is counter to the majority of the sellers that I know from them to keep in mind. It's such a nice way to wrap this episode because earlier you had talked about, you know, you, you buy and you do business with people you like and yep. inherently appreciating what's the context of the audience that I've assembled for this pitch or this sales conversation and modulating and adjusting the tenor to calibrate psychologically and emotionally, use your word, what's going to be most potent and effective. And salespeople have to be able to exercise the agility 
when am I going to throttle down on tension because I'm dealing with a buyer that's going to respond in that way, but not too much that's going to embolden them. And then I'm jumping into a next conversation with you and you're so much more analytical and operationally minded that that degree of tension is going to absolutely cause you to recoil. That level of heightened awareness is fascinating to me as someone who clearly has a lot of passion for behavioral economics and buyer psychology. So a fabulous answer to round out a scintillating discussion. What unlocks <laughs> your mind? Let's demystify when we send that email. What's really going on? Because inevitably, you do hold a lot of the keys to those purse strings. So Mallory Lee, VP of Operations at Nihilus, this has been an absolute treat. You unlocking, how do we get away from being a vitamin to becoming a painkiller, if not a source of life support? Really appreciate all your wisdom. Thank you. And I hope the people trying to sell me stuff don't watch this. That one do, do not send Mallory Lee a breakup email. All right. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mallory. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performance sales teams, head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, come on, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen. 